Would you open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 4? It's a story of Cain and Abel. Um, again, if I have not met you, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church, and it is my joy to open up God's Word with you. Um, have you noticed, by the way, church services, corporate worship, when we come together, have a way of exposing us? Let me say that again. Have you ever noticed that church services have a way of exposing us? Sometimes good, oftentimes not so good. Um, I was uh, in the not too distant past at a conference and uh, there was a worship team who was leading. Now I like to tell myself, I'm not judgy, I'm discerning. So that's what I, that's what I say. Um, so this team was leading and, and they did something really, I'll be honest, it was kind of weird for me. And um, so what they did is they were, they were singing their prayers like on the spot. And initially I was like, okay, that's, that's straight up weird. Why are they doing that? And um, my heart was being exposed, right? And uh, so then my mind chimes in and my mind says, well, Michael, um, actually like all of the songs you sing in, on Sunday morning, all that is is prayers of adoration to God. Like you're, you do the exact same thing that she's doing. And then for a moment, my heart is humbled, but then my heart says, wait a minute, wait a minute. But it's different uh, because what she's doing is she's uh, making the prayers up on the spot and singing them, and that's just weird, right? Judgy, 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 discerning, no judgy. And, uh, and, then, and then my mind is like, but, but wait a minute, Michael, um, you also make up prayers on the spot, like out of the overflow of your heart, you get in front of the church and, and you pray, you're responding to the worship. Well, I mean, what's the difference? She's singing it and you're speaking it, but it's the same exact thing. And so what I want to do for you is I want to sing pray. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. It's literally the dumbest thing I would ever possibly do because I'm the worst singer that has ever existed in the world. Um, anyways, and so it was interesting because this battle between my mind and my heart. Now, here's what's interesting, right? My discernment radars, radars they're always on. The songs were doctrinally sound. They were awesome. The musicians were great. Like, there was nothing that I should have been concerned about in this entire event. And my heart is just like, but she's sing praying, blah, 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 right? And, and, and it's like the Lord was like, okay, Michael, that's not her issue. That's, that's your issue. So we get to like a couple more songs, and, um, and my heart was just sort of like, it was being revealed, it was softening, and uh, by the end of it, I was, I, I honestly, it also revealed a different side of my heart, which is, um, I love to sing with God's people. I love it. Um, I've always been a musician. I love music. I love corporate worship. I love Sunday mornings. I just love when God's people come together. Um, it's healing for me. It's transformative for me. Um, it's just a really beautiful experience for me. And, and so at the same event, right, really, really, I think good things were coming out of me and really ugly things all at the same time, right? Anybody else at all relate to this or am I the only terrible person in this room, good. Um, what I want to do is I want to lay a groundwork for corporate worship that's going to help us get into um, actually the point of the text this morning. So what I have to do is share with you maybe a principle, a truth that we all have to be on the same page on. Because if we're not on the same page with what I'm about to tell you, the story of Cain and Abel, I don't really believe is going to land with probably the weight that God wants it to land with you. So um, here, here's the, the simple principle. Worship, corporate worship, when we come together as God's people, it is first an offering. When we get together amongst God's people, you walk through the doors of this church, this is first your offering to God. 
It's about what you are bringing to give God in this time. Uh, that's where it starts with you in your heart, okay? So you walk through the doors, and there's this principle. It's an Old Testament principle called first fruits. Um, it's you give God your first and your best. And so you walk through the doors, and you give God your ministry, your heart, your life, your breath, your songs, your words, your mind. Uh, the preacher gets up, and you're like, I'm going to be attentive because he's hopefully God willing going to open up the scriptures and read from those, and I want to know what that says. Like this whole thing, right? You walk in, and your primary goal is to give God, to lift up God, give him your praise, all this glory that you want to turn around and focus on yourself, and me too. We redirect that, and we give it to God. That's what we do. We're walking in here with an offering. So I want to start off maybe just with a question here that will kind of prepare our hearts. Um, what did you come here today to give to God? And I am not just talking about money. Get money out of your brain for a bit, okay? What are you offering to God this morning? Uh, did you come in critical, complaining, judgy, to this, to that, this, that, this, that, or did you walk in to corporate worship and say, God, I'm here to lift high the name of Jesus Christ because you have saved me from my sin. Um, yeah, all my preferences aren't gonna be met and that's gotta be okay. I'm here to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, worship is first an offering. Now, turn Genesis 4, point number one in your notes. My worship reveals me. Genesis 4, chapter one, let's watch the first act of corporate worship in the scriptures. Here's what happens. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. FYI, that's not the act of corporate worship. The act of corporate worship is coming here in a minute. You could call that. But. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Verse three, verses three and four kind of hold this whole text together. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord a what? An offering, you can speak, it's fine, an offering. Of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. So uh, we talk about four things that we know about their worship, four things that we know about their corporate worship together. Number one, they knew when to worship. Uh, the text says in the course of time, this is a Hebrew way of saying they knew what time it was, they knew where to be, this was designated. We don't know how often they gathered for worship. Could I surmise with you? Um, for millennia, every time God institutes corporate worship amongst his people, it is weekly. He injects a weekly rhythm into the corporate worship of his people. People. Maybe this went all the way back to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Whatever the timing is, they knew when the time was. They knew when this was supposed to happen. Number two, they knew without a shadow of a doubt who to worship. And his name is Yahweh. And, and, and sometimes in Genesis, uh, they use the word Elohim, which is the transcendent, majestic name of God. But when God's people, when God is revealing himself personally and intimately, he will use the word Yahweh. This is the personal name of God. And what you're going to see here is that worship is, is intimately personal. It is profoundly personal. Um, this is very personal between you and God and we and God. This is both individual and corporate in terms of what happens in this place. Number three, they knew how to worship. 
Uh, they both conveniently brought something. Now, we don't know, did Adam and Eve tell them this? Did God have like a tutorial? Here's a one-on-one -on, -one on corporate worship, and here's what you're supposed to do. How many of you would love to be a part of that tutorial if God himself gave it? Amen. Um, they knew how to worship. They knew shepherds bring sheep. They knew that farmers bring their produce. Whatever you do, you know you're bringing the first and the best of what you have. They knew this. This was, this was clear to them. But number four, they also knew what to bring. They didn't just know how to do it, but they knew what. Now, there's a word here uh, that is going to really just set apart Abel and Cain. Uh, it's, it's a word that many, many people have just bypassed in this, but you're trying to figure out when you look at their offering, what's the difference? Why does God... Like, reject one and accept the other. And then here's this word, it's firstborn. So, so Cain comes, and he's, like, giving God. He's like, look, man, I'm a, I'm a farmer. Here's my produce. Here's my stuff. Like, you should be happy. But Abel's attitude, there's something about Abel's attitude that you see in his offering. It's actually very, very different. He gives the firstborn of his flock, but he doesn't even just stop with his first and his best. He goes overboard and of their fat portions. And, and what they're doing is revealing realities inside of their hearts. And so uh, here, here's what God's children know. I think intuitively we understand this, that when we come to God, when we come together amongst God's people, we come to give God our first and our best no matter how small it might be. This is what we do. But in American church, we can very easily get numb to this because nobody will call you on it if you come to church and you bring nothing. And again, we're not talking about just money. I'm talking about worship, adoration, encouragement for one another, praise to Jesus Christ, a personal ministry of which everyone, if you're a follower in Christ, you have one. And if you're not bringing it, you're still withholding from God what he rightly wants you to bring to him. You get the point. And so because of the American culture, we don't challenge this because this is just honestly can be consumeristic. But it's interesting because for the child of God, for the person who understands what God wants, we don't walk through the doors consuming first. We walk through the doors offering first. Do you see that? And then what's the most important offering that the Lord would want from every single one of us in this room? Is it your money? No. Is it your ministry? No. It is your heart inclined toward God in worship. That is what he wants from us. And so we just see this principle. Now I wanna zoom in on Cain for a moment because if you're gonna understand this, there's two things you need to know about Cain personally and the New Testament has quite a bit of, of information on him that tell us maybe what's going on behind the scenes in the event. Number one, I'm gonna speak in New Testament language, but Cain was not saved. When you go to heaven, you will not meet Cain. The New Testament's reflection on Cain is that he was an unbeliever and evil. So you need to understand this. Like there are people that you want to meet when you go to heaven. You're not going to talk to Cain. You're going to talk to Abel. And so here's what 1 John 3.12 says. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one, right? Isn't that kind of sad? Like Adam and Eve, two, two boys, and one of them they will never see again in eternity. Uh, what makes somebody evil? Let's, let's talk about this. Because was Cain as bad as he could have been? The answer, of course, is no, no one is. And scripture speaks of these two really important categories. The first category are those who are of God. And the second category are those who are of the evil one. And the only difference between the two people is one thing, and that is 
faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. Sometimes there are non-Christians who act better than Christians, right? Right? There, I, all morning long, that has been the greatest head nod that I've gotten from more people in church was there are non-Christians who act nicer than Christians. Thank God salvation is not based on how good you've been this week or your entire life. Um, the fundamental difference between those who are of God and those who are of the evil one is Jesus Christ. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? That is central and essential. That is it. Uh, now, this is what Hebrews 11 says, because Hebrews 11 also talks about Cain and Abel. He says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended, applauded as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Like, how do you know God is pleased with the offering you bring? He accepts it. Um, this is gonna get really, I think, sticky, because what sets Cain apart from Abel is simply faith in God. Now, you might say he didn't know Jesus. So faith has always been the same, or salvation has always been the same from Adam and Eve all the way to the very last person who is going to be alive on earth before Jesus comes back. And it has always been in the cross. Now, before the cross, they didn't know that God's name was Jesus, but they knew that God made a promise and that God was going to come back and to save his people. And faith in that promise before the cross is what saved everybody, not their good works, nothing of the sorts, not even their offering, faith in God. Now we live on this side of the cross, which means, praise God, we get to look back and we know God's name. We get to see the cross, hear about the cross, understand its beauty and implications. Like, aren't you so glad you live on this side of the cross? Please, yes. And so we have this incredible, incredible privilege, but this is what set them apart. Abel had faith in God. Cain knew God, talked to God, but did not trust God. You can talk to God, you can sing to God, but if you don't trust God, it's a very scary thing. Now, this isn't a scare tactic at all. Like, this is actually more of just an opportunity to reveal how the scriptures view this. Um, you have two options in life. Trust in Christ and be a child of God or reject Christ and be a child of the evil one. These are the two families that all of humanity ends up living in. Now, here's a question for you. Do you think Cain was proud of his offering. I think he was. Like, I think in his mind, this is my best. Like, God should be happy. Like, if this is you, God bless you. I love you. It's just so glad you're here. <laughs> but there are, the amount of times people are just like, they have different vocabulary, but this is at the core of what they're saying. Like, God should be super happy because I'm here right? Like, I came. Like, that's something, right? And I'm like, listen, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, but here's my question. You might be happy with it, but is God happy with it? Like, that, that's a huge question here that lingers over this text in a pretty palpable way. Here's what I do know. I do know that he came not expecting to be rejected. I do know this, that he came optimistically that his half-hearted, selfish sacrifice would get past God and that God wouldn't say a word. That's what I do know. At the end of the day, here's the second thing I want you to know. Cain's worship um, was offensive to God. It was offensive. Isn't that interesting? That God is offended by his offering. Like in Cain's brain, again, I could just imagine this. Like, what do you mean? At least I brought something. At least I did something. 
And God looks at this and is personally offended. Jude, uh, the book of Jude in the New Testament actually has a little bit to say about this. Jude 1.11 says this, woe to them. Okay, so like you come to church and you are feeling the feels, right? The band is on, there's the right amount of people, the lights are in the right place and your emotions are erupted, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> right? Uh, and you feel all great and you're like, that, that was a great worship service. And here's my question to you. Do you have any category in your brain that that might be a woe? That God might respond and say, woe to you? No, right? This is why I think Cain was surprised because we come bringing what we know and bringing what we think is our best. And I think Cain was absolutely shocked. And here's what it says. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. Let me tell you why Cain did not bring his first fruits. He brought his leftovers because he kept his first fruits for himself. That's what it was. Like, do you see the difference between the offering? Abel walks in and gives him not just his best, but an overabundance of his best, of his first, the most important, because Abel understood something. When you're in a relationship with God and you know who God is, you know he wants all of you in your first and your best. He wants the best of your job, the best of your ministry, the best of your calling, the best of your worship, the best of your time, the best of your week, and he wants it first. This is why we celebrate and we worship um, Every Sunday morning, he wants the first of your week. He wants the first of your morning. He wants the first of your money. He wants the first and the best. And God's people get this, right? When we are saved from hell by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our response is we offer him everything. But that is inconvenient. And I get that it's inconvenient, but I'm telling you this, I've yet to meet somebody who gives God their first and their best on a regular basis and says, I regret giving God my first and my best. Never met the person. I mean, I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure you can find the critic. But when 99.9% .9 of people who take God at his word and say, I'm going to figure out how to give him the best of my week, the best of my time, the best of my energy, the best of my mind, I'm going to give it to him, and he is going to give me what I need for the rest of it. That is a life-altering decision. It says, woe to them. They walked in the way of Cain. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. Cain brought God his leftovers. And, and in case you think I'm better than Cain, I know exactly what it means to do this. How many of you are very grateful that Jesus Christ died on the cross for every one of your sins before you were saved, but every single time you walk through that door, a consumer, selfish, critical, and complaining? So don't worry, this is hard, it's introspective, but there is hope. Let's look back uh, at Genesis. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Why? Tons of reasons. I mean, Abel showed him up. How many of you want to be showed up by your younger brother? My, my brothers, I'm better than them at everything, and they hate it. They just hate it. You're going to get to know my, my sense of humor, I hope. It's like, he's arrogant. At himself, for not being good enough. Like, God, like, who are you to reject me? Like, that's personal. And what do we all want? Approval. Mom, dad, God. Flip it around, what do we need it from? God, dad, mom, that's the order. But what do we cry for in our hearts? And what, what sends us to a place when your mom and your dad reject you, it takes years of counseling to get over that kind of stuff, doesn't it? You can understand why this is core. This is, 
This is deep. This is a very real pain. What is corporate worship revealing inside of Cain? Verse six says this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Pop quiz, does God know the answer? Yes. If, if you do well, Cain, will you not be accepted? He's literally putting in front of him the option, the opportunity for his offering to be accepted. And if you do not do well, this is interesting, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is pictured as a hungry, ravenous, probably lion. And, and, and the idea here is that, you know what? Satan started it, but now he can go just deal with Christians here, okay? Because sin will finish in you what Satan started. He doesn't have to play around with a lot of non-Christians because sin is a roaring beast that will seek to devour. And he looks at him and he says, listen, Cain, Sin is real, and it is powerful, and it is ravenous, and it is knocking at your door, and its mouth is salivating for you. You must figure this thing out. And here's what he says. Its desire is contrary to you, which means literally its desire is to consume you, to eat you piece by piece and leave nothing behind. But then he says this to him. But you must rule over it. You must. And here's, here, is, here is what God is offering Cain. Trust me. You've held all this back from me. Give me your first and your best as an act of trust and this will be fine. This will be fine. And you would think, you would think that in this moment, Cain would get his senses together. He would get his act together and he would say, you're right. I've been caught. I am selfish. I'm greedy. I don't trust you. I come into corporate worship half-hearted, holding back, waiting for other people to perform or to do this or that before I give you, God, my best, as if anything they do has any relevance to what I offer you. Like that's what he should have said or something of the sorts. So I wanna give two big enormous warnings for those of you who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Sin was waiting for to pounce for corporate worship. When did sin pounce on him? In the middle of worship. Isn't that interesting? I'll tell you, there is nothing that exposes more than what happens in corporate worship. But number two, even when God disapproves, this is what I love, even when God disapproves of what you're doing, he is still fighting for you. He is still encouraging you. He is still equipping you. Cain's not even a child of God at this point. And God is still telling him, don't do it, encouraging him, encouraging him, fighting for him. How much more for his children? Point number two in your notes, my, in your notes, my worship leads me. So, so let's, be, let's be clear for a moment. Worship is a revealer, but it is also a transformer. Um, corporate worship is sacred, God-ordained, and just life-transforming. Uh, it's a beautiful thing that God has given us and put into the rhythm of our lives. Repentant worship, that's worship where you walk in and you, you maybe realize some of your sin and you're trying to confess it to God. Um, it is so healing. 
It's actually one of the most beautiful things that you can bring to God is a humble, contrite, repentant heart in corporate worship. And what it does is it has this beautiful way of accelerating whatever is inside of you. In the same way, unhealthy, broken worship accelerates sin inside of us. How you're worshiping and what you're worshiping leads you to a destination. So I have sat in church services on a regular basis and the day before or two days before, we have these heart-to-heart conversations with brothers and sisters and uh, they are in rebellion against God and we tell them, like, you need to repent. This cannot happen. You can't move forward in this, right? And then they'll sit and worship and I wanna tell you what I've seen happen time and time and time again, whether it's the music or prayer or preaching or communion or fellowship whatever it is, the whole thing comes together and you can just watch them getting angrier and angrier and angrier because worship is an accelerant to whatever is inside of us. You give me a humble, broken heart and I will show you a Sunday morning where, where, where repentance is accelerated. But I can't tell you how many people come in and they're confronted and oh, they get mad and angry and angry because it's something about the corporate worship experience that exposes us and then leads us and accelerates us to a really strange destination. Which is why when you come through these doors, you must check yourself. Because throughout the history of God's people worshiping, it has always done these same things. It is one of the most powerful, transformative, accelerating experiences that God has given to us. Uh, Our men right now, you may not know this, there's a handful of men who are at our annual men's retreat. And a bunch of our staff, we came back uh, last night um, to be with you all. And so I want to tell you about the worship um, team that was at the men's retreat. Um, They are incredible musicians, like really, really skilled musicians. Um, Hearts pure as gold, like really, um, really enjoyed them. Uh, The worship leader actually was super intentional, prayed with the men, um, very, very, um, yeah, attentive just to the reality of who was there and leading them um, into God's presence and just, just a great awesome leader. All of them were super skilled, kind when you talk to them outside, like not duplicitous, not your typical musicians. I'm kidding. Uh, I am one. So just great guys, right? There's one little problem. Um, we were in this little room. And, uh, and so you, this little piece of glass around our drum set, you're welcome, by the way. Um, I'm going to tell you why. Because this protects your brain from exploding um, of sound. So here's what happened in this room. It's this little room, and it's long, right? And there's nothing blocking the drums. And we were sitting maybe the third row, second row, I don't know, something like that. But we were maybe 12, 15 feet away from the drum kit. And the drummer has in-ears on. So he hears all the musicians. He hears the singer. He hears what's going on. He's trusting the sound guys in the back. God bless you guys uh, to make sure that the room is mixed. Well, they had these tiny little speakers way up in the ceiling, pointed in the wrong directions. And they had this big old drum kit sitting in the middle of whatever. And all you heard was cymbal. Not at like, okay, so like... There are decibel limits that like churches will go to that are still in the range of safe for your ears. And then there's decibel limits that concerts go to and they waver back and forth. And then there's like, I don't know, sometimes that dumb experience of that loud explosion or whatever. But then there's these drums, right? And it is like somebody stabbing my brain with a knife, right? And I'm just like, oh, what is happening right now? I can endure a lot. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? Uh, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, what is going on? And, and, it's, and I want you to keep in mind, this sermon was prepared, okay? Like, like it's, almost, I, it's almost like God was like, I'm just gonna screw up all the sound just to make a point to you, Michael. And I'm like, oh, thanks. And so I'm sitting there and uh, of course I'm discerning, uh, I think we could help them with their, with their sound. And uh, no, that's not what happened. Um, my heart was getting irritated. 
I'm like, I wouldn't do that if I were them. How would, you know, like, just all this weird junk in my heart is coming out. Now, let's be straight. The sound guys were doing the best they could. The guys on stage had no idea what was going on. Like, nobody's got a malicious heart. Nobody's being negligent. Nobody's being a bad guy. The drummer is just doing what drummers do, which is going nuts, right? And meanwhile, I'm being stabbed in the ears. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm like, all right, dear Jesus, uh, uh, I don't know why they don't know how to do that. Why don't they do that? We just told the drummer to do this. You know? and, and, and just to be clear, you know, like our, our worship sets can be, you know, at the beginning, two songs, maybe three, right? This was not one song, not two songs, not three songs, not four songs, but five long songs, right? And <laughs> Tim, can I get an amen on this? <laughs> Tim was there. And uh, it was interesting because by song two, my heart is like not in a good place. And the Lord is like putting my sermon back through my head. Like, yeah, you're a moron, man. Like, you're literally preaching on this in like 12 hours. So, bah, ha, ha, you know? And, uh, and so I kind of just had to get my brain together and just say, you know what? I'm going to pray. Um, I can hear the men sort of singing around me because it was so loud we couldn't hear the guitars. We couldn't hear the vocalists. Couldn't hear the bass. Couldn't hear any. I mean, literally could hear nothing except the banging of drums. And uh, in between the songs, everybody in the room was like, please let it be done. And then the, the synth would start and be another song. We're like, no, another one, no, another one. And, um, but anyways, uh, I was praying and I'm like, All right, God, you're just gonna have to help me. And I'm trying to sing along and block it out. And uh, it, was, it was hard work. It was the hardest I've ever had to work to worship like ever. And, uh, but it was interesting because two things were exposed in me. Like I could have gone, I could have gone and just, like given over to the sin side, the judgmental side, the arrogant side. I'm better than that. How do they not know this? Our sound guys would shred them, you know, all that other stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Um, but the Lord was convicting me and he was saying, no, um, actually kind of, this might actually just be for your heart because this might be what you need. And um, it was interesting because it revealed in me sort of what the conference and the concert did um, over the past uh, that I was at, that I talked about at the beginning of the sermon. It revealed a quickness towards judgmentalism. Um, but it also revealed something I was encouraged by. Like, I do want to worship God. And I love worshiping God. And I love corporate worship. And I just found myself wavering between the two. And I found myself very grateful for the cross in that moment. <clears throat> worship accelerates whatever's inside of you. It took this judgmental spirit that isn't poked very often and it just erupted it. But it also took this heart that loves worship. And once I, I ruled over my judgmentalism in a sense, um, it accelerated my ability to worship God. Let's look at verse eight. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Don't know what he said, but we do know that somehow he drew him into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain's territory, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Premeditated murder. I want to go back to 1 John 3.12. I'll put it on the screen. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And then John goes on and says, and why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Let's dig here. What deeds were evil? his offering, his worship. He's in worship and he sees God's not pleased with him and he sees that God is pleased with Abel and it accelerates what's going on inside of him. And God had already warned him, sin wants to devour you. Corporate worship is gonna accelerate sin or righteousness. 
Cain, you have the ability to rule over this. Trust me. Come back to the table and give me your first and your best as a sign that you trust me. Can I ask you a question? Does your worship result in you sinning more or sinning less? Think about it. Maybe ask your spouse, when you leave church, what comes out of your mouth first? This was to that, this was to this, this was to that, this was to this. You literally just had a 90, 80 minute opportunity to bring glory to God and corporate worship with his people um, in unity with believers all over the world, spanning back millennia. Like this is sacred, right? God's word was preached, right? And you go in the car, what comes out of your mouth? I wanna ask you the question, does corporate worship lead you to sin more or to sin less? Because the conversations we have in our car are revealing what's actually happening in our hearts here and now. So what's God going to do? Um, I, would, I, I don't know if, if you killed one of my children, I would want to kill you. Candidly. Anyone? Right? Here's what God does. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? This morning, a child of mine did not perform the way I would like them to perform. Again, knowing full well what I'm about to say and read in this text. My response was not becoming of what I think the Lord would do in that moment. Um, that child proceeded to shed tears and I proceeded to be convicted. <laughs> do I want God to just yell at me every time I don't perform? Look, look at the character and the nature of God right now on display, people. This is unbelievable. You, you don't believe you can approach God because of what you've done. Cain murders one of four human beings on the planet. And he, doesn't, he, he comes asking a question. I wonder, I wonder if, if Cain had confessed in this moment, how would the outcome of this story have changed? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> So, let's be straight. Every time someone cops an attitude with God, he's done, patience over. I'm just gonna be really clear. God's patience is about to be up. You remember Job? Like, at the end of Job, he gets a little bit of attitude with God, and he's like, oh, well, why did this all happen? Excuse me? Who are you? Um, were you there when I created the whole world? Were you there when I said to the waves this far and I put the moon in its place? I'm so sorry. No, I'm not done yet. Were you there? Like two and a half chapters of just straight up rebuke. Romans chapter nine, like somebody's like, it's not fair. And God's like, I'm sorry. Who are you, oh man, to talk back to God? Let's talk about fair. Shut your mouth. I'll do whatever. Like any, so God's like real calm, real cool, real collected, right? And so this morning, this child who did not perform for me, I responded in a less than delightful way and they proceeded to say, I don't care. <laughs> I should have waited for the anger to that point. That would have been, that would have been better like, right, right then. Um, I did have to apologize, FYI. Um, and then the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground and now, now you're cursed from the ground, 
which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, FYI, it's no longer going to yield to you its strength. You should be a fugitive, not just that. You're going to wander on the earth. Your idol, what your stuff that you get from the ground, you're more me, 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 cursed. Now you got to work twice as hard to get what you got before. Three times as hard. Your home, gone. Relationship with your parents, gone. Your brother, dead. Me, out of here. What would have been the difference if he would have just shut his mouth and confessed in that moment? We will never know. Cain said to the Lord, and this gets even more irritating, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You literally murdered your brother and he doesn't exist on this earth anymore. And you're concerned about your punishment. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from, the, from your face I shall be hidden. But I shall be a fugitive and wander on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Notice his greatest concern. His punishment, not his sin. Not one stinking ounce of sorrow over what he's done. But you don't know how hard my life's gonna be now. You're like, don't you wanna reach the pages of scripture and strangle him? You're just like, no, dude. That's not the way to respond. But even in this moment, right, God has cursed him and has taken away everything he knows. Don't you feel like in this moment the patience of God should be up? It's not. Like, even while people are wandering, God's patience is still there. The Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. We don't know what the mark is, but it made it clear this man is divinely protected. You touch him, you're dead. Lest anybody who found him should attack him. That's crazy to me. In this moment, God should turn his back on Cain, send him away, and give him no more mercy. But every single day, Cain wakes up, he sees the mark of God and the protective hand of God on his life. But he still doesn't trust him. And then one of the saddest verses, gosh, in the whole Bible. Verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You ever run from God? I don't know that this was necessary for him to leave God's presence. You can be a fugitive and God's presence can be with you. It's a tricky text. But here's what you know. He lost God. He lost it. The potential. Now, he never had a relationship with him like Abel did, but even that potential in that moment, he was forfeiting and walking, walking away. So what? I want to go back to these six words from verse seven. But you shall rule over it. How? Because there are a bunch of you right now who right, you are very aware of the sin that wants to rule over you. In this moment of corporate worship, the Spirit has maybe provoked some stuff in you. Uh, what's really hard about preaching to a lot of people is that um, all of you have a different, we'll just say, problem. <laughs> so do I. So I wanna share with you actually um, an interesting way to close a sermon with a so what. Uh, there's a social scientist um, and a psychologist. And for his living, what he does is he helps people make decisions. And he finds that people have a really hard time making decisions about their own personal life. And uh, so he was, uh, he, he developed this technique. And uh, we're going to try to use it with you right now. Here's the question you're going to ask. What does God want you, me, to change or to do differently 
because of what God's word says. So um, he's sitting in a bar and uh, there's this girl next to him and he says to the girl, um, or the girl says to him, what do you do for a living? And he says, I help people make decisions for a living. And she says, well, I've got a problem. Um, I've got this job right now in Chicago. It's great, it pays well. I have an opportunity to move up in the company. My friends and my family are here. But I also just received a job offer in California. It's, uh, the pay is just as good, but it sort of taps into one of my dreams and, and uh, talks about the job. And he, she says, I just don't know what to do. And so he, um, he does a little technique, which by the way, I've done this with many of you in this room. Uh, and, and so now you know, secret's out. He says, um, what advice would you give your friend? And she goes, oh, I would tell my friend to go in a heartbeat. You couldn't give up this opportunity to be the best thing in the whole world. He goes, well, there's your answer, right? You already know the answer, but you were too afraid to actually face the answer. You just needed to give advice to a friend, okay? So uh, he tells a story, and I'm in the room for this one, and, and, uh, and he says, um, I want you to imagine you're in college. At college, there's this uh, person that in the other room, you're both single and, and you're looking at them, you're attracted to them, and the more they talk, you're like, I gotta get to know this person. And so he said, um, how many of you would go ask out the guy or the girl? And about 10% of the people in the room raised their hand. And he said, that's totally normal. Now let's flip the circumstance. A friend comes to you and says, oh, there's this girl, there's this guy, or whatever, you know, and I, uh, just everything they say is so intriguing. Um, how many of you would advise your friend to go ask them out and to be courageous? Well, 90% of the people in the room said, go ask out your friend. And here's this point. We give other people better advice than we give ourselves. And when, even when we do give ourselves good advice, fear overcomes us and doesn't allow us to actually move in the right direction. So let me ask you a question in light of this. If you had a chance to talk to Cain and he had just given God his leftovers, and God had just warned him that sin is crouching at his door and wants to rule over him, what would you tell Cain to say in that moment? Somebody just say something. What would you tell Cain? He just gives God an offering. It's half-hearted. God confronts him. Anyone? What are you doing? That's a question. Dude. Right? Enough said. Dude. Give him advice now. Tell him to do something. What do you want him to do? Search your heart. What's going on? Where is this coming from? Right? Examine yourself. Absolutely. Like, and would you, would you walk away then? No, you'd probably say, get out a piece of paper or papyrus and, I don't know, blood from. <laughs> write it down, right? Take out your iPhone, man, and write it down, right? What, what does it say? No, put words and vocabulary to it. Then what do you say? Literal tablets. That was very funny. Thank you for that, by the way. What do you do? He's just given a terrible half-hearted offering to God. God rebuked him and said, sin is going to destroy you. Rule over it. What do you tell him to do? Search your heart. He realizes what's in his heart. Apologize. Right? I'm sorry. What else? Try again. How many of you would, you, how many of you would say give up? Right? But how many of us were like, we realize God isn't pleased with something we're doing, and then we walk away like, oh, I'll never get it right. Well, boo-hoo, woe is me. Right? Would you ever, ever give anybody that advice to walk away? No, you'd say, don't give up. Come back. What else would you say? I'm sorry. What else over here? Go make it right. Go make it right. Who knows? Who knows what could have happened? Okay. Um, I asked this to somebody between the services, and I said, what would you tell him? And he said, change. Now. Immediately. And, and I looked at him because he was asking about his own life, and I said, change. Now. Immediately. <laughs> Right? 
Because here's the deal. If God commands it, okay, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the power to do it. If God commands it, you have the power to do it. And if God looks at you and says, sin is crouching at your door, but you must rule over it, do you have the power to do it? The answer is absolutely yes. And if you give over to sin, can you ever blame God for not protecting you enough? Of course not. Okay? Great advice. Crazy. I want you to imagine now. Cain has just killed his brother. And his blood is on his hands. Give him advice. It's harder, right? Repent. Repent. Like, that, that's a thick word, but like, you, you gotta lay this thing out. Like, okay, you got blood all over you. There's three people, four people in the world, now there's three. Like, they're gonna, they're gonna know something happened. Right? <laughs> what else? What do you say to them? Do it now, not later. What else? Confess. Go, repent, confess, throw yourself at the foot of the cross, right? I would just look at some of you in this room and say, go, now, repent, confess, throw yourself at the foot of the cross. It's interesting, because after you've sinned, right, all of the lies, right, come up, and yet what God wants for you, you already know, you already know what God wants you to do. That's the funny thing. Pastor Michael, apply the sermon for me. You apply the sermon for you. You know. You know exactly what God wants you to change. You know what he wants you to change in your ministry. He knows what he wants you to change. You know what he wants you to change in your relationship to the local church, on Sunday mornings, how you approach sermons, how you approach music, how to approach the broken relationships in your life. Do I get in a community group or do I just stand there aloof? Do I repent of my sin? Do I re-engage? You know. You know. You're like the person sitting in class looking at the beautiful guy or girl and, and, and you're too afraid to go ask him out. When if you were to go give yourself advice, you would say, like, have some courage. It'll be fine. The worst they're going to say is no, right? We give other people really great advice. And now I think for some of us, it's time to just follow our own advice and to take that next step. You know what it is. You intuitively know what it is. And then here's the crossroads. Will you do it? Will you do it? We're going to celebrate communion. And um, here's what I love. Um, the cross changes everything. So uh, I would love to tell you my attitude is great every Sunday morning. It's not. Um, I'd love to tell you that I'm never frustrated. I'd love to tell you that um, every time I preach, I, I am like I walk up here and I am my, my home is good, my heart is good, my health is good, like everything's great. Like I would love, like that would be great, but a lot of times it's not. Um, there, are, there are some Sundays where I give all I got, but I don't have much to give. You know that feeling? And, and here's what I lean on. God, I know that even sometimes when I preach, my motives aren't even pure. I'm not trying to be. I just know it. Like sin is in me and deep down inside and it comes out in weird ways. And, and uh, here, here's what I just rest on. Um, all of my worship, everything that I'm offering to you, as broken as it might be, is filtered through the blood of the cross. And the blood of the cross covers all of my shame and all of my sin and all of that brokenness. And what gets through to God is pure, pleasing worship. I bank that everything I do is processed and filtered through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so some of you, I feel like this often, like, why do you let me preach I am so ridiculous on so many levels and you give me this calling in this ministry and he's like, I don't think you understand. 
And some of you are like, well, I, I, don't, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to come forward and take communion. I don't deserve to do whatever. And you're right, you don't deserve it, but he qualifies you. The blood of the cross covers you. And so for those of you this week, and you're gonna partake of communion here, and you're feeling unworthy, that's normal. But you have to remember that now in Christ, there is now therefore no condemnation. That Jesus Christ is filtering our broken, impure, manipulative, weird worship, and it is really good to be a follower of God on this side of the cross. And when we're aware of stuff, we don't just lean on this idea that God filters it all. We try to eradicate and repent of the sin that we know of that is in our heart. So I want to encourage you, you might not have a lot to give this morning, but if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, come forward and take communion when we partake together. Some of you, you have never trusted in Jesus Christ. And in communion, here's very simply what we say, um, let the elements pass when they come by you. Let them pass. Um, communion is a proclamation that I am a broken sinner covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're not there, there's no reason to partake of communion. So here's, here's what we're gonna do. Um, the band is gonna come up and uh, we're gonna do communion a little differently. Um, they're gonna play a song. And it's a, really, it's a beautiful song with really beautiful lyrics. And uh, it's an opportunity as the elements are passed for you to just stay seated and reflect on the words um, some of you, God's going to be doing some work in your heart. Some of you just need to pray. Some of you need to thank God. Some of you need to make some commitments to God. Like, I'm done. I'm done doing what I'm doing. This whole thing is dumb. I need to do it your way. You're infinitely better. Some of you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, and today is your day to trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, and you need to move from being a child of the evil one in his family to being a child of God, completely redeemed and forgiven. That's what you need. I don't know where you're at this morning, but it's a time to reflect I'm gonna come up, I'm gonna read some scripture. And the song they're gonna play, it's newer. Um, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna stand after that and uh, we're gonna sing the last part of that song together. So let me just take a minute. Let me pray for you and pray for me in our heart um, as the Lord does his work. Father, I so wish sometimes that I could see the Holy Spirit moving. Lord, even as I'm preaching, like three or four things are just coming up in the back of my brain that you're just kind of poking at right now and, and um, I know your spirit is working on me and at the same time you're so encouraging to me you're so patient with me if you're that patient with Cain how much more with your kids and so God I wish I could see even right now what you're doing all the battles going on in hearts and minds the reluctance to give you what you really want what we know you're asking for for some of us just even the reluctance to trust you and um, I wish I could see that but God I want, I want to pray that you would overcome our pride and our resistance. You can do that. So Lord, um, make the battle easier just to feed us. <laughs> Help us lose so that we can win. God, as we remember the cross, as we prepare our hearts, as we observe these lyrics, um, Lord, would you just continue to work and soften us? I want, I want to thank you that um, even despite our really, really ridiculous sin. You never leave us or forsake us. You are with us. Even if we're your children and we try running, we just cannot get away from you. So grateful and so thank you for Jesus and for the cross and it's our joy and privilege to worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.